Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. Welcome to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. During my time in culinary school, I gained an appreciation for good beer and continued my studies in beer at grad school at NYU. Since then, I have been a beer director, beer bar general manager, and I get to continue to explore the beer world with all of you wonderful listeners. Every week, I will have a guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world, from brewers, importers, educators. This will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So we have a special show um, midweek here, and I'm joined in studio uh, by Dr. Brian Alberts. He's a historian. Liz Garibay, she is also a historian, and Mike Stein, who is also a historian, beer writer, man about town, DC beer, DC brow. <laughs> is, that, is that good on you the title the part? Intro. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> um, and for those of you who listen to the show regularly, um, we are welcoming back Mike for the fourth time. That's right. I've triumphed oh. over Bill Devon. <laughs> Triumph is great. <laughs> uh, well, welcome, uh, Brian and Liz. Thank you for coming in to uh, DC. You're coming in from Chicago, correct? Yeah. Thanks for having us. Of course. Yeah, now, we'll be here. You all are in town for the very long named conference the Pop Culture Association, American Culture Association conference annual meeting. I don't know, one of those things. I think Gathering, Nerd Fest. <laughs> nerd Fest. Uh, and you both. Uh, are part of the Bruseum, which is in Chicago. Yes, the Chicago Bruseum, uh, which right now is a nonprofit organization. Uh, we have an exhibition up at the Field Museum of Natural History and hope to one day have our own space. Nice. And you all, I mean, what was the inspiration behind this Bruseum? Well, the Bruseum is definitely Liz's brainchild. I, I serve on the National Advisory Board and help out, but this is something that uh, Liz has been doing since. I want to say 2014. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, our, our team, uh, our board of directors uh, got together in 2014. Uh, I'm a historian, again, and a museum professional. My, my whole career has been mm-hmm. in museums. And um, I started really working on public education, uh, public history, and, and looking at history through that lens of alcohol back in the late 90s. And uh, realized there really wasn't a beer museum uh, around and, and most of the beer museums that we do see uh, anywhere um, are either tied to a brand, um, you know, Guinness, Heineken, or they're smaller and really focus on just collections, right? Cans, bottles, and, and other fun stuff. Paraphernalia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was nothing that really was larger um, and told the history of the city or uh, sort of the, the everyday social and cultural components of, of how cities are built and, and how they function through um, the beer industry. And that's really what I really wanted to do. Okay. So let's look at Chicago, uh, the history through the lens of beer, Yeah. while we sip on some beer here. And so, Mike, you brought us some beer that you actually helped brew. I did. Yeah. So this beer is mm-hmm. uh, from Blue Jacket, and it's called Company Porter. 
Blue Jacket right here in Southeast D.C. Right here in Southeast Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. So uh, Company Porter is an East India Porter, basically like the first black IPA ever brewed. And uh, we brewed it with beer historian Ron Pattinson. Mm. Uh, and Ron is has been writing about beer, uh, British beer, as well as other world beer cultures for the last three decades. Um, so he is definitely, you know, your favorite beer historian's favorite beer historian. <laughs> and he was in town to make this beer. It's actually a historic recipe from Barclay Perkins, which was a London brewer, uh, an English brewer. And he got the recipe, I believe, from the London Metropolitan Archives. Wow. But um, you can't just go and read the recipe. There are ledgers, and then you have to correspond the ledger to the actual recipe. So there's a ton of research that went in this beer. Fortunately, uh, Ron came here to D.C. We made some beer at Blue Jacket. We made some beer at D.C. Brow. It was really a, a dream come true. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's, it's delicious, and it's in cans, so you can get it Thank at you. Blue Jacket, you right? You can, yeah. Um, it's bitter AF, as the kids say. There's four. So, so hip, so cool. Let's try. Yeah. So there's 44 pounds of hops in a 15 barrel batch in kettle, and okay. you know kettle hops make the beer super bitter. So I think like a marrow kind of thing going on on the. Yeah, you know, it's very yeah. very bitter. Um, but you know, if you like bitter beer, this is your jam. No, this is definitely it's, my jam. I'm, it's nice. I'm, I'm very very yeah. happy with this. This is super super food friendly too. You could you could have a lot of fun with pastas on this one. Definitely. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I would love to, to yeah. be yeah. in your kitchen when you're cooking up some pasta, please. Yeah. Next trip. Yeah. Next trip. What are, you, what are you doing after the show? Yeah. <laughs> I guess cooking for you guys. I don't know. So so let's talk about uh, Chicago's history a little bit through the through the lens of beer and, and, and why it's so important to you. Uh, well, A, I like beer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, B, but, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting story because um, beer for Chicago and for the Midwest really kind of runs through our veins, our history. And the reason for that is because of the German heritage, the strong German heritage that we have. If you think about um, the beginnings of the United States, uh, a lot of the German immigrants who came started on the East Coast but gravitated west and settled in the Midwest. So you have these amazing beer cities, if you think about them, right? Chicago, St. Louis, Milwaukee, Mm -hmm. uh, Cincinnati. Um... All great beer cities, and it's because of that German immigration that we had in the uh, early 1800s. Um, there's a great story I like to tell about Chicago history and the very beginnings of our city. So our city is officially founded in 1837. We start out as a small, swampy village and mm-hmm. become a township in 1833, and then we become a city in 1837. In 1833, um, we have a handful of bars already, of course. Only about 250 people living in Chicago or what would be Chicago. And there's already some folks running around sort of, you know, telling people what to do and trying to create organization from the potential chaos. And they decide that they need to have a conversation about next steps, right? What should this village become? And some, you know, really smart person in the group says, hey, let's go to the bar and talk about it. Yeah. So there's a, the, the hottest bar in town in 1833 Chicago was called the Saganash Tavern, which was located in the Saganash Hotel. So they all go and, and uh, hang out at the Saganash and throw back some whiskey and some ales and some cider and, and say, hey, you know what? Should we vote? Let's vote. Should this village become a township? And so they vote. And it's mostly unanimous. And so Chicago 
becomes a township in 1833. Four years later, 1837, they go back to the Saganash to vote if whether or not the town should become a city, and they agree. So Chicago's beginnings literally are in the bowels of a bar not once but twice, and that really kind of sets the tone for uh, the city's future. Um, alcohol and beer are just very much ingrained into the everyday uh, aspects of life. Nice. Absolutely. And in addition to that, uh, as Liz mentioned, you know, the, the 1830s origins of the city put it kind of later than a lot of uh, comparable cities in the Midwest or the East in that it's, it's kind of a latecomer, but it mm-hmm. also happens to almost coincide with the rise of German immigration uh, to the United States, which really kicks up in the 1840s and beyond. So it's not just that uh, Chicago is... Uh, a city, you know, steeped in, in the history of alcohol and the history of beer, but it also was essentially uh, still in its, its formative years when these Germans start coming in. So you're able to really bake that influence and that connection into the, the fabric of the city as a whole. And for those of you just tuning in, I'm sitting here with Dr. Brian Alberts, Liz Garby, and Mike Stein talking about some beer history, the Bruzium out in Chicago, beer and culture. Uh, so. As the city grows and as it matures, beer continues to be a big part of the community. I mean, I, I don't know a whole lot about uh, you know, Chicago history, but I do know that uh, beer gardens were, were a huge part of the community and a huge part of the practice, correct? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it was very common for when, when these German breweries really start to um, proliferate in the city, uh, it's very common for them to kind of own a garden space or a green space essentially adjacent to the brewery. The, the, a great famous example is uh, John Huck, the first lager brewer in the city, uh, who's just running this little two-story wooden structure. He lives in the same building as the brewery, uh, and he just operates this you know, uh, one or two-acre beer garden essentially very adjacent. And not only is that, you know, just indicative of, of what's going on during that era overall, but that's also, I mean, that is in the heart of what is now Chicago. That's very close to um, uh, Michigan and Chicago Avenue, which, you know, that's uh, one of the most you know, magnificent mile. That's one of the most prominent areas in the city. And, you know, you go back far enough, um, you, you, find, you find beer underneath the foundations of, the, of what are now skyscrapers. Oh, yeah, a lot wow. of old bottles and things. <laughs> so another thing that kind of put Chicago on the map was prohibition. Mm. You know, you've got Al Capone, you've got speakeasies, that kind of thing. But yeah. I think a lot of people forget that beer played a huge part in that city during that time. It was not just all speakeasies and liquors coming over from Canada. No, I mean, you know, the beer industry uh, really took off in the late 1800s um, and, and was a, a very dominant industry. It, I mean, so much beer was made and so much beer was consumed and you know, eventually, uh, 1920, when Prohibition um, came about, uh, you know, people were still at it. Uh, I, I, keep, I always like to say that we have this love-hate relationship with Prohibition, mm-hmm. um, just because I think of any city in the United States, Chicago, sort of, that's, that's the identity, right? Part yeah. of it is Prohibition because of good old Al. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Who worked at a brewery for a while, Right? He's got, he's got, well, he's got an interesting story. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he's originally from New York. Brooklyn. Uh, Right, yeah. And, you know, he he gets brought over to Chicago (laughs) by his friend John Torrio. Johnny Torrio, who who gets to Chicago and and starts, you know, getting involved in in various businesses. Mm -hmm. uh, And eventually tells his buddy Al to come on over because there's there's work to be done. And he kind of just makes his way through the ranks. You know, he starts out. At, um, as a bouncer at a bar called the Four Deuces. Uh, for, call, it's called the Four Deuces because the address of the bar was 2222 mm-hmm. uh, South Wabash. Um, and, you know, 
he was a really likable guy and he was very smart and he was also very charismatic so you know i think one of the things about al capone and, and i guess one of the reasons he was really successful is that because he would he would not be um overly concerned about talking to reporters or talking to anyone who would listen um he was just really savvy in that way and i think because he was open about sort of just chatting with anyone and also again very likable um i think that was really his road to success yeah so we're going to take a quick break but we'll be right back with beer me on full service radio Welcome back to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, recording live at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. I'm joined in studio, fourth time's a charm, by Mike Stein of D.C. Beer, D.C. Brow, Lost Loggers, History, Beer, all of the above. Uh, Dr. Brian Alberts and Liz Garby from Chicago Bruseum. They're both historians here in D.C. Uh, for the next couple days, yes? Yes. Yep. Next couple days, you guys are busy. So we're talking a little bit about, you know, the history of Chicago through the lens of alcohol. Um, we're going into Prohibition a little bit. Um, anything kind of significant between Prohibition and now? You know, at all. Anyway, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it's it, I, the running joke I have with a lot of other uh, colleagues and things is that I really don't care what happens after 1933. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, but th- there's yeah, there's a lot that happens, of course. Um, you know, uh, uh, in Chicago and in another another U.S. cities, I think the real situation is that a lot of the bigger breweries are able to survive. You know, mm-hmm. they have the infrastructure. Um, they're able to, instead of making alcoholic beverages, make non-alcoholic beverages or vinegars or other sort of liquids. and Like malt candy, malt yeah, syrups. You know, yeah. yeah, vinegars, uh, all kinds of different things. And they're able to sort of um, keep, you know, keep moving during those lean years. And then mm-hmm. once 1933 comes about, everyone sort of gets back into full production mode. And, you know, the country wants it, of course. So... Um, you know, this is a, sort of one of the reasons why a lot of the bigger breweries end up surviving, and, and um, that certainly becomes a very uh, significant time for us in terms of the beer culture that we will come to know for most of the middle of the 20th century. In Chicago, in the Midwest, um, there's a big brand that actually is from Wisconsin that becomes a very strong Chicago beer called Old Style. Um, and, you know, people always kind of connect it to uh, Chicago. And the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, this is a time when a lot of beer brands were just really good at marketing. Mm-hmm. And so Old Style becomes this great Chicago brand basically because they just said Chicago's beer on the can. Yeah. Right. And so people kind of just consumed it on uh, mass for that reason. Um, so that's what you get, you know, for for the Midwest and for a lot of the country. Uh, you, you get those bigger brands, the ones that we now know as macro beer, sort of growing and mm-hmm. and really kind of becoming ingrained in, in, in sort of that time period and that culture until, of course, 
um, the 19, late 1960s, 70s, when home brewing and, and craft beer starts start its own little venture. So, and, so Brian, what is, what is the current craft beer scene like in, in Chicago, in that Chicago area? And, and what do you feel about the, the beer scene as it is in the past couple of years? Because it's blossomed. So uh, I think it, it absolutely has blossomed. I think it's become something really amazing. And obviously, this is something that Liz should chime in on as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I would say from my perspective is that for a while, I was doing a lot of traveling to various parts of Indiana, uh, Cincinnati, uh, Michigan, and places like that. And for a, while, you know, a few years ago now, it looked like Chicago was lagging behind a little bit. That's, that was my just kind of personal impression. And that is just completely reversed. Chicago has become essentially one of the, the craft beer hubs in the nation. Uh, over 150 breweries in the Chicagoland area producing really amazing things. I mean, their performance at last year's Great American Beer Festival, uh, just the, the Chicago brewers who won medals, yeah. really just kind of a testament to how much they've been able to uh, flourish in terms of creativity within the, the, the realm of brewing science, the realm of, of recipe creativity all that kind of stuff. And so um, even though I'm not, I'm not a brewer myself, as is plainly clear from the way I'm describing this, uh, I do think that Chicago has uh, is, is the comeback story um, and not just for the Cubs. <laughs> we can talk about the Cubs if you guys want. Do we? Do you want to? <laughs> well, I mean, that's something that people are even saying that, uh, at Wrigley Field. It's, it's becoming harder and harder to find an old style, um, just you know, looping back to what we were talking about. And it's something you hear all the time uh, from people who go to the games all the time. It's like, well, it's, it's not the Cubs if, that's it, true. if you can't get an old style. That's, that's very true. I mean, old, it's actually one of the reasons why old style grew so much in Chicago was because they were able to get into Wrigley Field in the late 30s and 40s, and, and it kind of, mm. kind of took over sort of that right that whole environment of you know america's pastime you're holding an old style you know enjoying a an afternoon ball game um and yeah it's very true that in wrigley field up until a few years ago you know all you could find was was, uh old style or bud products you know and it was atrocious uh the lack of um options but now we've got all kinds of great craft beer in there um that's for the, sure. the old style taps are being replaced with very good options <laughs> yeah we're, we're experiencing a similar situation at nat stadium I, th- yeah. I think this past year is is the best showing i think for for craft beer is it yeah it's been any other? i would argue this season at nat's ballpark is the best it's ever been in terms of beer choices um, so that's something that dc has in common with the chicago brewing scene is that we're on an uptick we're on an upswing um, if you think historically about beer sales in the stadium, you know, that's definitely an American pastime, beer and baseball. Um, what was fought over kind of 100 years ago was whether or not you should be able to buy beer in the ballpark or not on Sunday. Um, and I think, you know, I've read some historians take that uh, I think like the American League was formed because baseball wouldn't allow Sunday beer sales. Um, that's a lot of sales. That's a lot of sales. I mean, yeah. if baseball went for 12 months a year, the D.C. brewing scene would grow exponentially. Yeah. I would be shocked if any of the 12 breweries in town, not all of them, you, can, you can't buy all 12 in that's ballpark, but um, the, let's say, half dozen you can, including, you know, Port City and Mad Fox out in Virginia, you know, D.C. Metro, um, they would all grow exponentially because Nats ballpark's their best customer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, not so much the ballpark, the people in it, but um, it's the biggest place. Like we're talking about beer gardens a little bit. DC used to have a thousand seat beer garden. 
I mean, the closest you're going to get to a thousand seat beer garden today is National Stadium. Yeah. How's the scene uh, for the Capitals? Have you ever seen there? A lot of Chicago, a lot of Goose Island. Oh, really? <laughs> There's a lot of Goose Island. Actually, uh, even last year at Nat Stadium, like the only option I could have outside of Macro was Goose Island, and Goose Island's technically huh. owned by right. AD InBev, right. so mm-hmm. you know. But, right. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was like. Chicago representation over DC representation is a little weird. That's the thing yeah. about um, National Stadium and now Audi Field, the uh, DC United Major League Soccer Stadium, is that you can get craft brands independently owned um, DC and Metro DC breweries comparatively to uh, what is now Capital One Arena. It's all ABI products. So. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to loop back to you guys again. We got a little off track, but that's fine. We're allowed to do that here. Um, you all have a beer history and culture project. Yes. You want to tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so you sound a little exasperated. <laughs> no, it, it, it's okay. it's it's just so uh, it's exciting, but it's so involved. But um, yeah. Again, because of the the museum background that I come from, um, we all like to say that museums play nice together. Uh, you know, everyone plays nice together. But that's not you know, what I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but everyone's after the same customer. But I definitely was always mentored by people who were very much into collaboration, okay. and, and that is what drives me. And so when I started working on the Chicago Museum, you know, I know Chicago history really well. I know the Midwestern um, beer history really well. I know American beer history, but there are other people in other parts of the country that are are experts in, in, mm-hmm. in those spaces. And so while we are the Chicago Museum and we will focus on the Chicago story, we are also aiming to tell other stories right around the, around the world, not just the country. So the Beer History and Culture Project really aims to bring together cultural organizations um, to focus on celebrating and commemorating beer history and culture, uh, uh, past and present, of course. Um, so we started out just doing things in Chicago, right? Reaching mm-hmm. out to uh, great museums like the Field Museum or the Chicago History Museum or the Museum of Science and Industry, the Newberry Library, all these great cultural organizations and saying, hey, will you do this with us and host these beer-centric events in your spaces? And everyone was very excited about it. And then it just started to sort of grow uh, to be more regional and then all of a sudden national. So um, trying to do a number of things around the country. Um, we're here obviously in D.C. in April. In September, uh, we'll be in Seattle mm-hmm. um, doing all kinds of things all month long um, with some great cultural collaborators. Um, we have great partners again all over the country, the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. And one of the big things that I love um, by having sort of one foot in the beer industry is we all get so excited when two breweries come together to, to make a beer, right? The collaborations yeah. are great. And, you know, it's sort of like, okay, what's the story? And it's one time only. And the beer geeks in us sort of like get really excited. And so knowing that, I also wanted to sort of expand from that for the project and do beer collaborations, not just with breweries, but with other cultural organizations. So we've been uh, on this beer path um, to make beers. Uh, we did one with the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans last year and um, Illuminated Brew Works in Chicago and Urban South Brewing in New Orleans. And we made a collaborative beer that kind of told the story of the shared connection between Chicago and New Orleans. Um, we're doing one now with Mike. Uh, Mike, you want to talk about that one? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So um, the, uh, the institutions we're working with, President 
President Lincoln's Cottage, uh, mm-hmm. which is here in D.C. And then the local brewery is Powers Farm Brewery out in Virginia. Um, and they are literally a farm with a brewery on the farm. Um, and so Kevin and Melody Powers are the owner of Powers Farm Brewery, and they both uh, grow some great raw ingredients um, that Kevin uses in the brewing process. Um, and in this instance, we decided to brew a Berliner Weisse style beer because this was kind of part of the transition thinking about Abe Lincoln and, and his time in office. Um, it was kind of pre-logger boom. Logger showed up, you know, in D.C. We're in the 1850s, similar time frame for Chicago and a lot of other places around the country, um, you know, 1840s all the way to 1870s, let's say that, that kind of 30-year span. We wanted to do a Berliner Weisse because, you know, uh, there's this whole history of Berlin-style beer in America. And, um, you know, even though Chicago and D.C. have different beer histories, we both had this tradition of, of ale brewing. The Germans got here, some of them before the lager boom. And what were they making? They were making Berliner style beer. Um, so we brewed uh, a beer which is an all barley Berliner Weisse, typically in the Berlin. The hey, Berlin normally ar- you got wheat in there. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's almost like you teach this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, you're absolutely right, Sarah. Um, Wheat is part of the grist. The recipe calls for barley malt and mm-hmm. wheat malt. In this case, or, or raw wheat. In this case, we used all barley malt, um, okay. some Virginia, some German, some English malt. And that's to kind of mimic what was going on. So, you know, in during Abe's time in office and even before president, as he's a, a you know, an Illinois representative, um, ale brewing was really big, you know, when Chicago was founded. Like Liz was telling us about the story, ale is really big. Um, and then it's the transition to lager, but between those two is Berliner style beer. And so that's why we chose to focus on that. So we have Virginia malt from Murphy and Rood, we have German uh, Pilsner malt from Weiermann, and then we have some uh, Maris Otter from England. Nice. So British barley. And you're souring with? We are souring with Lactobacillus, you nice. bet. Lactobacillus planetarum is the strain for mm-hmm. all our Uber fermentation nerds out there they're out there yeah and <laughs> came from jasper yeast uh jasper Ackerboom and travis tedro own jasper ah, yeast the yeast wranglers yes exactly precisely <laughs> nice. in in dulles uh or ashburn virginia mm-hmm. ash vegas as they call it oh, fancy they're getting real fancy <laughs> now well that's really cool so what is the yeah. what is the goal behind this beer what do you what do you want it to achieve well uh these collaboration beers i think are a really unique way to tell a story that that some point that an organization like the Bruseum can do that uh, other museums may not necessarily have available to them. Uh, this is obviously beer is incredibly successful, uh, accessible. It's you know it brings people together. That's it, that's its inherent you know purpose and function in society, right? Uh, and so these uh, collaboration beers allow the various organizations to tell their story, but it also allows us to tell very unique stories within beer history. So obviously uh, with this uh, you know President Lincoln's Cottage collaboration, we really just thought. You know, Lincoln was great at bringing the nation together. Uh, The beer is great for bringing people together. You know, a a union of the two, so to speak, seemed like a really, you know, neat idea. And we have a whole series of other collaboration beers that we're working on in the future, one of which is coming up very soon uh, in Chicago with the Field Museum that's going to feature some uh, hops that they have from their botany collection. And, you know, and... How how cool is it that we can tell you can we can use a collaboration beer to tell a story about botany? Like how how can you broach those two subjects otherwise? So and I this will be served. These beers will be served at the at the Bruseum. Uh, but it, well, we are we don't have a, a location yet except for our per, or our uh, temporary exhibit at the Field Museum. But yeah, we'll, you'll be able to get that particular beer 
at the Field Museum, the the brewery that's making that beer for us is called Temperance Beer Company mm-hmm. um, in Evanston, uh, just outside of Chicago. Um, and you'll be able to get it around the city. And, and this one, um, mm-hmm. uh, the collab we're doing here in the D.C. area, uh, it's called Cabin and Cottage. I don't know if you guys know this, but we really like Abraham Lincoln in Illinois. <laughs> no <laughs> shit. Yeah, Are I you know. Serious? It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Birdie's really big in Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think the, the, the only guy that uh, competes with him is Barack Obama. Yeah. Um, uh, so two good, great presidents uh, out of Illinois. And so um, Cabin and Cottage, of course, uh, speaks to uh, his journey mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as a politician and as a human being as well. Um, and so we're excited about this particular beer, which, is gonna, which has been brewed at Powers and will be releasing this Saturday. Uh, at Lincoln's Cottage uh, for the official launch and then um, it'll be brewed uh, the, the the other brewery in Illinois mm-hmm. in Springfield is called Rolling Meadows Farm Brewery another farm brewery and the really cool thing about that brewery is that they are located in the exact spot where Abraham Lincoln first arrived in the Springfield area so they're he very got off the, he got off the train he, 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 got, off, he, got, off, he got off the raft foot goes yeah. down okay totally <laughs> So I haven't been there, but there might be a footprint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're very connected to that guy, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be brewed in uh, at that brewery as well and released in July. Nice. In the Illinois, uh, in, the, in the Springfield and the Chicago markets. Mm-hmm. So something, and I'm going to read this straight from your website. I yes. really, really like your mission statement. Uh, it says, beer is more than just a beverage. It is a dynamic cultural force with the ability to build community and the power to make change. I really like that. I know mission statements are a pain in the ass to write, <laughs> and I'm sure it was scrutinized by many people, but well done. Thank you. Hats off. Thank if you I had much. a tiny hat that fit under my headphones. Uh, an Abraham Lincoln <laughs> hat. Abraham Top Lincoln hat, hat yeah. a little tiny one. Uh, so while you all are in D.C., before we wrap up here, um, tonight you'll be at the Hyrick House, correct? Yes. Yep. Okay. Plug Plug away, man. What are you doing okay. in D.C.? Uh, that's going to be a panel, and we're really looking forward to it. It is, go- it is uh, probably the most uh, cerebral and academic of the discussions you're going to be doing here, and we're excited to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be talking about D.C. and Chicago comparatively, looking at how beer affects uh, these really big uh, concepts like urbanization. Uh, in, in the case of this particular history, we're talking a lot about immigration. We're going to talk about more... Uh, contentious topics like gentrification and how those have historically and and currently affected uh, the growth of cities. You know, craft beer often ends up uh, helping to revitalize neighborhoods, and the nature of that revitalization is is obviously up for debate depending on who you're talking to, and we want to broach that subject as well. And when we talk about the Germans that we were mentioning and when we talk about uh, the history of beer in in a place like Chicago, you end up talking about a lot of those same things. That's that's the power of beer as a historical uh, concept, something that always ends up leading you to talking about law or economics or who, you know, whatever. Whatever. Uh, And so we're we're happy to broach that in a comparative sense at Hoyer House tonight. And you all will also be at Right Proper the next uh, yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, so tomorrow we're uh, both Brian and I are presenting, and Mike are presenting at the Pop Culture Association Conference. And then in the evening, we um, are having a chat. Uh, myself and Teresa McCullough, the beer historian from the Smithsonian, yeah. will be uh, chatting about our projects and about the importance of preserving beer history uh, at Right Proper, um, the Shaw location. And then uh, on Saturday, we have our Cabin and Cottage beer release and talking about Lincoln and beer. Oh, where is that going to be released? At President at Lincoln's, Cottage. Lincoln's, Lincoln's Cottage. Cottage. Okay. And um, the only other places it'll be available are at Powers Farm Brewery. You'll have to get out to Virginia. And 
Erica Goodrich at the Craft Beer Cellar is actually going to get a sixth for her Crowler station. So you'll be oh, able cool. to get it in D.C. after our event um, on Saturday. Nice. Yeah, definitely. Any any chance I can get people to go to the Craft Beer Cell on H Street, I always yes. want to. It's a great shop. Yes. Well, thank you all for coming in. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah. yeah. Enjoy blast. D.C. for sure. Um, this has been Beer Me on Full Service Radio, recorded live at the Line Hotel. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. Any questions, comments, concerns, follow us on Instagram at Beer Me Radio. Shoot me an email, beermeradio at gmail.com. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.